Good morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. Actually, he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall, and don't worry, in the Lompoc campus, Fred, we're going to write it on the wall there too if you need some help. And uh, that, what that means is you're going to need a Bible uh, to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, you can just slip up your hand. Uh, and at both campuses right now, someone will get a Bible to you. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you right over here. Um, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Three of you think that, uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 I can hear you from the Lompoc campus. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining us live and in person there. We had a great uh, launch uh, last week uh, to many who are right now. Maybe you don't know that there are people gathered right at this moment and uh, through the grace of technology, uh, redeeming technology for the glory of God, there are a group of people, a room full of people who are meeting right now, uh, gathered together, uh, meeting for one name. Amen. Will you just give the Lompoc campus a hand for, uh, give yourself a hand. We're so glad. Uh, that you're joining us. I heard amazing things. Hey, be praying for Pastor Tyler, who is sick this morning. It seems like the enemy is very frustrated with what we're doing around here. Uh, and so be praying for him. He's under the weather. But uh, I know Jeff did a great job uh, this morning. My friend Ed's going to come up at the end of the service, and he's going to greet you and conclude uh, the service. But hey, turn in your Bible uh, to the Gospel of John, John chapter... 18. We've been in a series for many uh, weeks, and uh, we'll conclude uh, in the next month or so. John chapter 18, <clears throat> and we're going to be reading from verse 12, and you can say amen when you're there. John chapter 18, verse 12 says this. So a band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. He didn't know what he was saying, but stumbled on to the truth. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, are you also, you also are not one of uh, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have taught in synagogues and in temples where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I've said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? 
Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that you would help us, that we would not just look at this as story time, but ultimately we would allow the scriptures to read us as we read them. And ultimately, as we see you more clearly, Jesus, it will identify just who we are. Help us, change us, mold us. Let who we are be more congruent with who you are. We thank you that you're shaping us, you're molding us, that people may see Jesus through our good works. We thank you and we praise you and let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. This is one of those passages that if we are honest with ourselves, there's a lot that we can take from. There's a lot that we can identify with. There's there's things that we've talked about over the years that when we read the Bible, it's primarily not a story about us, but it's primarily a story about Jesus. But this is one of those passages where we can look at the story of Peter and Peter's denial that many people uh, would know the story about and had heard the story, that there's some things in here that we could identify with. And it's interesting to have the contrast between Peter and actually Judas, who we just have been uh, talking about. And where we are in the story, if you haven't been here uh, through the last several weeks, we've been looking at the last week and even now the last hours of the life of Jesus. And Jesus had had a dinner, a supper with his disciples in this upper room where he uh, began to say some of the most viral things that have ever been said in the history of the world. And just before he says much of it, he looks at Judas, a friend, a disciple, one who's been following Jesus for years. He says, listen, go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. And Judas leaves in order to betray him. I was talking with someone in a small group this past week as sometimes, and even years ago, preaching through the book of Mark, uh, I even made a statement where I said, you know what, I, I want to identify with Jesus and the other disciples, but I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like Judas, and maybe you can identify with that. But can I just say that there is a big contrast between the casual mess up or stumble than there is in the person of Judas. I almost need to walk back my statement from Mark because I got to be honest with you. What the Bible tells me about Judas is that Judas actually gave himself over to Satan in order to betray the Son of God. He betrays him in such a way, not just, not just fibbing on him, not just telling a lie on him, not just canceling their friendship or blocking them on Facebook. It goes beyond that. He actually gives himself over to Satan and betrays innocent blood the most perfect, beautiful son of God. And he betrays him in order that he might be killed and murdered. And that is quite different. Maybe you've had pastors get up here and say some very difficult things and point a finger and, and say to you, maybe in your upbringing, hey, you're more like Judas. But let, let me be honest, there, there's, most of us in this room uh, are, are nowhere close because there is real evil in the world. And Judas Iscariot is one of those display, dis, that display for us true evil. And there is evil. And we shouldn't gloss over it. There is evil in the world. And this is the scene of where evil is is conquered by allowing evil to do his worst to Christ. And Christ defeats the enemy and absorbs all that the enemy could take. The Bible says that, that the enemy wouldn't have even went through with his plan if he had known what he was doing. And see, that's really where we find ourselves today is 
the confusion about what we think are our plans. Satan didn't even understand fully what Jesus was doing. And I got to be honest with you, even as a pastor, a minister of the gospel, I don't always know what Jesus is doing. How about you? Right? And we're ultimately, we think from different perspectives. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Our perspective is limited. Our view is limited. His perspective is not And yet, let's be honest, we find ourselves often in a debate on what he's doing versus what we would like him to do. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You see, maybe we can't identify with Judas, but I got to be honest, there's some things in this passage with Peter that many of us could look to and identify with and learn from where we find ourselves because I think honestly uh, Peter gets a bad rap I mean we're quick to tell his story we're we're quick to to tell the story of him denying Jesus and Jesus will predict that the rooster that he will deny Jesus before the rooster crows or before it's morning he's telling them before the night is up Man, you will deny me. Then it says he denied him and the rooster crowed. And that's why we've been making barbecue chicken ever since, you know? (laughs) One rooster told on Peter and that was it for him, right? (laughs) Right. Man, we know, we know the story of Peter's denial, but the story doesn't start here. The story doesn't start with this night where Peter has his world flipped, turned upside down. I mean, Peter is someone to be admired. I mean, right here you go, man, I don't know if this is admirable. Peter's a man's man. I'm telling you, most of you in the room, you, you would want to be on Peter's team. Yeah, he gets it wrong sometimes, but at least he's the one to try. At least he's the one to, to get out in front. I mean, he is a man's man. He works with his hand. He's a fisherman. He's a business owner. He's got people who answer to him, and he's not afraid. He's not the strong, silent type. He is strong and bold and confident, like my man Kel. Right? Amen. Right? It was just not, he's, he's one of those guys that have put himself, even if he risks opening mouth, inserting foot. I mean, but if you're the guy that's going to go down in the waters, at least you got to walk on water with Jesus. Come on. Surfing without a surfboard? Man, some of us can only be so lucky, right? And yet, he gets it right, and then he gets it wrong. Many of you can identify with that. Well, sometimes you're following Jesus and sometimes you find yourself trip, stumble over yourself. Can I get an A? Man, man, some days I get it right. And some days I get it wrong. See, if you don't look at the whole scope of Peter, you may quickly condemn him for denying Jesus and not see that your story finds some connection points with the story of Peter In the book of Matthew, Matthew tells me a story of how Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and he asks the question, he says this, who do people say that I am? And listen, that's a a question that's been going from then through now. Who do people say that Jesus is? Because listen, everyone has an opinion about Jesus in this particular time leading up to Easter. You can't go through cable uh, channels without finding this story about Jesus and that story about Jesus. Somehow Jesus is connected to ancient aliens on the History Channel, but I don't get it, right? And, and if you're to, to catch right before Easter, you'll find CNN's The Story of Jesus. Listen, no one w- that's half their, worth half their salt in, uh, in the academic world would ever deny the historical figure of Jesus there is far more on Google that Jesus existed than you friend you can try to fight that battle out and the most famous person in human history will win every time Jesus is the most famous person maybe in some circles infamous but you can't deny that Jesus is the most famous person 
in the history of the world and people have opinions and things to say the mob has things to say but the but the 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 question that Jesus begins to build on he asks his disciples and maybe you as disciples of Jesus need to to move to the next layer of the question where he goes beyond what do people say that I am who do people say that I am but, but what do you who do you say that I am I can imagine moving from the mob and, and the questions of the mob are much like uh, many uh, or the answers of the mob are, are much like what the mob is today. I mean, they give answers like the disciples go, well, people say that you're Elijah come back from heaven. Some people say you're John the Baptist reincarnated, which is as strange as the ancient aliens, because literally John the Baptist and Jesus existed in the same time. And you're telling me just six months ago he died and now took on your flesh. The the theories around the person of Jesus are immense and they are, they are riddled with controversy. And he says, okay, we'll move it beyond the mob. Move it for me on the masses and answer the question, who do you say that I am? I can imagine him moving from just in a general way to looking Peter dead in the eye and saying, who do you say that I am? Peter puffs out his chest, confidently says, you're the Christ. Now, this is free. Christ's not his last name, okay, right? So uh, Christ is a title, and, he, and he, he gives him the title, and he identifies the title. He says, you are the Christ, meaning the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one. I, I mean, in his mind, in his deal, he's calling him Neo. He's calling him from the mayor. He, you're the one we've been waiting just shameless matrix plug anyways he's saying you're the one you're the christ you're the one who's going to change everything you're the christ and he says the son of the living god and jesus looks at peter and says yeah you're right peter and flesh and blood have not revealed this to you but my father which is in heaven and then here's the thing. He calls him at the time, Peter is known as Simon. And Jesus changes his name. He, he says, look, could you imagine getting a nickname by Jesus? Right? Like you, you get the answer right. And he's like, hmm, I'm going to call you Simon. You're once known as Simon, but I'm going to call you Petros, which means rock. Peter. I'm going to call you Peter. I mean, could you imagine Jesus giving you the name Rocky? You're like, yeah. <laughs> Whew. man i mean can you imagine that like you, you go from simon barjona to rocky like this is a guy this is a guy you admire you want to be on peter's team man he's a rock and he says flesh and blood have not revealed it to you but my father which is in heaven then in matthew it goes on to say jesus tells him exactly what he's going to do, what he means by the Christ, what he means by the Son of the living God and the plan by which he is going to redeem all of humanity, the plan by which he's going to change everything. Peter's perception is Jesus is going to change things, but not the way Peter thinks or expects. And so he goes on and says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And, I, and by the hands of the priests, by the hands of the scribes and the soldiers, he describes all the people on this particular night. He tells them ahead of time, the night that Jesus is betrayed and arrested, the passage we started, Jesus predicts by the very hands that he will suffer he says by their hands i'll suffer and die but on the third day the father will raise me from the dead and peter getting a little casual because jesus is giving him a nickname he goes hey j dog let me get let me get a moment with you and, and you're like i don't know like you're a little too he's like come on come on let me talk to you and matthew says that peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Can I just say that's a bad idea, friend? Okay, I don't care if he gave you a new nickname. I don't think rebuking the Son of God who knows everything, knows more than you do, you're sidebars with him, friend, where you're letting him know your plan versus his plan is futile. Someone say amen to that. But yet we still have some sidebars with the Son of God and we let him know what we'd like, don't we? Right? And he goes, hey, man. Get a little casual. 
The fear and reverence is gone. I got it right. And my confidence is, is, is here. He puffs out his chest and then he says, he says, listen, Jesus, come on. You, you can't, that can't be it. You can't suffer and die. That's not what I meant by Christ. That's not what I meant by Savior. That's not what I meant by the one. And yet, this is one of the reasons why in the Old Testament they, they missed him completely is because they were not able to connect the dots. They weren't able to put together the stories in the Old Testament of how him, that he's the son of man who will conquer all evil and he will bring justice and goodness. They couldn't reconcile that with the passages in Isaiah of the suffering servant, that how he'll conquer is he'll suffer by their hands, exhausting the enemy. And he couldn't rectify these. He couldn't put it together. What Jesus, what Peter wants to change and what Jesus will change are different. They're at times at odds with one another. See, Peter steps out and says, no, 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 you, you can't do that. That's the one thing you can't do, Jesus. You know what Jesus says to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. Can I just say that you go from being called Rocky to Satan? That's a bad day, okay? I'm just going to tell you, they're like, like, that's a bad day. And let's just be honest, those are some days that we can identify with. Someone say amen to that. Like, we're like, yeah, and you get knocked out, right? Like, you think you're Rocky, and the next moment, you're Satan. And he says, listen, Satan, your words are offensive to me. Get behind me. You don't know what you're saying. And then in Matthew, Jesus will say this, and it will foreshadow ultimate, the ultimate crossroads, pun intended, that Peter will come to. Jesus will say, listen, if it, unless you deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you'll have no part with me. It goes from, who do you say that I am? The Christ, the Son of God, okay? What does that mean? Savior? Save from what? For what? What is it that, that God is saving us from and to and what for? Peter's whole world is completely turned upside down. When the predictions of Jesus, him saying, listen, you're going to have to deny yourself, Peter. Take up your cross. One of the other gospels, uh, Jesus will predict to Peter his denial. He'll say, listen, Peter. You, you think that you're bold and confident, but your world is going to be shaken. He goes, no, 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 no. In Mark, Jesus will tell the disciples, listen, all of you will fall away. Can you imagine? All of you are going to leave me. Peter speaks up because that's what he does. And he says, no, even if all these jokers, man, I know Bart. I knew Bart was, was that guy, right? He, he, he says, listen, even if Matt and Tom and Bart and John and James, these boneheaded uh, brothers, even if they fall away, not me, not me, Jesus. Remember, I'm the rock. I'm Rocky. Man, I'm going down swinging. Right? Listen, I, 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 I'm with you. To, and he says in Mark, Peter, Peter records that Peter goes, even if I have to go to prison and die with you, I'll do it. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, will you? Will you? That's cute. Right? Will you? Peter, let me tell you that even before the rooster crows, even before this night is done, all your adrenaline, all your hopes, all your aspirations, man, you'll deny me before the rooster crows. The question is why? Why does Peter deny Jesus. What is his denial wrapped in? Because when you first read it, you go, coward. Listen, one of the other disciples, which we could suggest is John, and he's a child, and no one's worried about him. 
So he goes right in to the temple courts. That's why he meets up with the servant girl who's there, who's also a young girl. He's not afraid. The high priest knew him. He's a kid. Don't worry about him. Peter stays outside of the door. There's a courtyard where ultimately leads into these houses that are apart and connected to the temple where ultimately the high priest will live close by like I live in the parking lot, right? And and not a joke. And and they'll live close by because they're gonna have the priestly duties. And so they enter in and they actually enter through where they bound Jesus and they bring him through. They're actually gonna bring him through the sheep gate. They're gonna bring him through the place where all of the other lambs have come through. And on this particular night, this is Passover. And while everyone else is eating the lamb to celebrate the Passover and the Exodus that is pointing to the ultimate lamb, the last lamb that will come through the sheep gate is the lamb of God. Where the words of John will echo, behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He enters in through the sheep gate and they bring him in through the courtyard and they take him first to the father-in-law. They don't want to mess with Caiaphas, the high priest, the father-in-law who had been the high priest and they bring him before him. And here's the scene. Jesus's trial begins. Peter's outside the gate. Then someone comes and the, the girl who's going to let him in as, as John probably lets him know it's safe comes and she goes, aren't you one of them? Oh, no, 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 not me. And then he'll find himself as the trial is going on and hearing it off in the distance and the conversations about the disciples. He goes, Jesus even says, won't you ask my disciples? I wonder if Peter could hear that within earshot. Oh, I hope they don't ask me. He says, he says ask, I've never done this in secret. I've taught in the synagogues. I've taught in the temple. Nothing that I've said is in secret. Won't you ask them? Peter hears that he strikes Jesus, one of the officers. Jesus says, why do you strike me? Why do you strike me? Did I do something wrong? Bear witness about what I said was wrong. But if not, why are you hitting me? Wait. Then Peter's by a fire, warming his hands. Another one says, another gospel will say it was the way Peter talked. It was, it, it, and he wasn't talking about his accent, friends. He says, the way is conduct. Then what if you were accused of being a follower of Jesus because of the way you talked? Then wouldn't that be a great high accusation? You sound like him. But on this night, Peter will curse to hell with you. I don't know him. What do you mean? He denies another one, another, a servant of the high priest, also a relative of the one that Peter struck and took off his ear. He says, no, no, no. Didn't I see you in the garden? He says, listen, man, it's not me. And the rooster crows. Peter's denial is gripping. Peter's denial hits home. Peter's denial sits with you. It's a story that echoes in these moments. You go, man, not him, not Peter. I mean, if anybody was going to stand up, if anybody was going to, wait a second, he did stand up. Wait a second, he did fight first. See, that's why I think we have to look at Peter's denial. We have to realize that Peter's denial is wrapped up not in him being a coward. See, I don't think Peter's a coward at all. I mean, what coward strikes Marines first? Here they come, and yet he takes a sword and strikes first. But it was the moment that Jesus says, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? that the Father has given me. And all of a sudden, Peter's gripped. He's at a crossroads of conflict in a moment where he has to wrestle with, who is Jesus and who am I? See, that's what will happen. See, conflict. 
conflict will cause you to wrestle with. Well, conflict will put you at a crossroads where you have to choose. See, conflict will help identify the things in your life that need to be identified. See, when you have conflict in your life, it will be the place where you have the opportunity to identify with Christ or ultimately cower and hide, forgetting who you are in Christ. See, conflict will put you at odds. See, maybe some of you are facing conflict now. Maybe you've been in conflict. And how many of you love conflict? I'll wait. Right? But yet, let's be honest, conflict is the place where you can begin to take inventory. Sometimes God will allow conflict to be the very thing that helps you begin to solidify in whom you have Believed. Who do you say that I am? See, conflict will put you at crossroads with the person of Jesus where you have to answer. Who do you say he is? See, when you're faced with conflict, you'll have to take an inventory of yourself. And it was uh, a few weeks ago, I, uh, we got up early morning. We were going to go surf Dawn Patrol, and we were going to uh, Halama Beach. And for any of you who've who've been there, you know that Halama Beach is a special place. And and for a kid who sounds like I sound, all right, all right, all right. Halama Beach isn't necessarily the place necessarily the place where I should be surfing in the winter. Let me just tell you that right now. All right. And yet, one morning, I, I go with my buddy Paul, who's a waterman, and Paul is an incredible surfer, and, and as you can tell with this accent, I am not. And, uh, and I went with Paul on this particular morning, Tyler, Pastor Tyler went with us, and, and we went over to Halama Beach, and it was quite different. I mean, Halama's a place that, where I surf in the summer, but the waves get bigger in the winter, and uh, it was one of those mornings where the surf report said three to five feet, and if you're any type of local around here, you know that three to five feet at Halama is like eight to 12 feet at Halama. And what that means is it's much bigger than we expected. And I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand the seriousness of it. But when we get there and we start making the mile and a half trek down to cracks and tarantulas and we're walking on the beach, there is no beach. The king tide has taken all of the sand and swept it back on to the reef. And now there's no sand to walk on. We're literally up on, I've never seen the coastline of Halama like this. There are, it's just rocks all the way down. And the first person I see uh, is this guy, his name's Matt. He's actually the son of a missionary that we supported for years here at the church. And he actually, uh, when I moved here, actually house set for me. I haven't seen Matt in a long time. I go, Matt, dude, good to see you. And his face looks like he has seen a ghost. And he looks at me like I'm a dead man walking, okay? And, and I go, hey, Matt, it's good to see you. And like, yeah. I was like, yeah, did you get some phones? He's like, it's... Uh, it's serious out there today. I was like, all right, all right, good to see you, man. I walk off, I go, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, you know? Like this guy, you know, he doesn't surf. Like, you know, he's a longboarder, you know? He showed up, he showed up to Halama Beach, and, and, and me, and, me and Paul, we keep walking, and there's like four more guys. And, and it hasn't really dawned on me that we're all going to surf, but it seems as though everyone else is leaving, and, and yet the next four guys, I, I, I go, hey guys, man, get, yeah, did you guys get some fun ones? They're like, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy out there today. And uh, for many of you know, uh, heavy is, is a particular term that you should take note of when it comes to surfing. I look at those guys and go, man, those guys don't know what they're doing. And we, we keep on walking and, and I'm starting to get a little, you know, all right, this is cool. This is exciting. We're going to go out there. They just didn't have the right boards. We got the right boards. And, and then we meet the third guy. And, uh, and this guy, for, for lack of a better term, and everyone knows who knows this term, this guy rips. 
okay? This guy knows him. We know he rips. And he looks at us and we're like, hey, man, you, you get some phones? He goes, not for me today. Like, say what? <laughs> not for you. What does that say about me, right? <laughs> like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean not for you? And, and, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at Paul and he's looking at me and, and, and Tyler's going, I don't know that we should be here. <laughs> Right. And, uh, and, uh, and we just keep, we keep walking and, and I'm still like in this moment of confusion about what to do. And we stand, I just keep looking at Paul who, who knows. And, and like, I'm looking at him going, I, I'll just do what you do. Even though I don't have the skills and abilities to do what he does. I'm just trying to fake confidence. I don't, I don't really know. I'm just trying to like, I'm with him and that must mean something for me. Right. And, and like, uh, and, and then he goes, Hey, let's just watch. And we, we go out to tarantulas at the point and we look and there, there's, there's an old Halama guy there. He's been around for a while and, and he's just been watching. He's not suited up. He's in his regular clothes and he's just been watching. And Paul goes, we should talk to him. We should ask him what he's seen. Like, I never thought to do that. You know, ask someone else for wisdom. Anyways, and, uh, and he's like, hey, what have you seen? And there's like three guys out. He's like, man, they're struggling. And that's so-and-so. And, and like, well, I know him. He's really, uh, he's struggling. He's a, like, and that's so-and-so. And he hasn't caught a wave in 30 minutes. And, and then while we're standing there, the tide just keeps coming up. And Paul has kind of went up on the, uh, on the, on the rocks and he's left his board. Now he's big board and I'm trying to grab it and grab his board. And like, man, what are we doing? Are we going out or like, why do you keep talking to this guy? And, and, and then all of a sudden we look off in the distance and this six wave set begins to rise and begins to remove the horizon. Like, where did the sky go? Right? Like it's completely blocked out and six ways, boom, boom. And I'm looking still confused about what to do. Paul comes off the cliffs and I'm like, are we going in? And he's like, this is not for us today. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it like took three groups of people and this guy to go, you should not do this. Right. And I started worrying. I like left. I was like, what if Paul wasn't with me? I'm such a kook. I would have paddled out there and I've been swept out to the islands and you would have considered your pastor to be Jonah from here on out, you know? <laughs> Right, like uh, this is like I would not be here today, and, and 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 yet it was him who looked at the crisis and conflict. See, sometimes it's the winds and the waves that can cause you to take inventory. You might not want them in your life. You might not want to see them in your life, but it's those moments that you really have to look and ask yourself, who am I? Man, that's a, that's a problem. That's a crisis of identity, friend. I would think, I would think for, for Paul, he's like, if Paul's saying, I'm not going out, you definitely shouldn't go out. Like, okay, I gotta, I gotta walk, I'm mad, but it was in that conflict that I gotta, wrestle with it. See, conflict will create a couple experiences. Conflict will create confusion or confidence. Conflict and how you act in conflict will begin to help you with the inventory. See, Peter is in a moment of conflict. This moment where these guards are coming, that's not the conflict. The conflict is when he swings first because he's confused. He would have jumped out in the waters just like he stepped out on the boat and found himself in sinking and needing the hand of God, the person of Jesus to pull him out of the waves. He's confused. See, Peter was not a coward. He was confused. He was confused about what Jesus was there to do. And sometimes I'm confused about what Jesus is there to do, especially in conflict. And sometimes I just want you just fix it. Just deal with it. Get me out of here. And you're exactly where you were supposed to be. Someone say amen to that. See, the reality is, is 
Peter was confused because Peter thought that Jesus was there to be a revolutionary. He thought Jesus was there to change what was in his hand, and Jesus was there to change what was in Peter's heart. See, think about how often you want things in your hand to change. I mean, Peter, although he's a man's man, he's a business owner, he has been under the auspice of the Roman Empire. He might as well be a slave to the Romans. He is good as long as he goes along and gets along. But if he creates a ruffle, he realizes he's not in charge of his own destiny, and he's fed up, and any man would. He's tired of not having money in his pocket and not having more for me and mine. You ever heard anything like that? You ever wish you had more money in your pocket? Oh, yeah? (laughs) Some of you are like, no, not me. I'm real generous. Like, okay, how are you talking when you were filling up your gas tank the other day, right? All right. Like, I really like to get, you know, I like, I wish things would change. Isn't that interesting? That's why the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes it's moments of crisis and crisis in the term of source and sustainability sometimes are the moments where God shows us who we trust what we think about him it's in the crisis moment where we are riddled with the question who do you say that Jesus is it's in the crisis of marital strife family conflict it's it's in the it's in the crises of culture, social dilemmas. It's in the crisis of the home. It's in the crisis of the neighborhood where you are confronted. You stand at a crossroads and you are asked the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you believe that he is? Who do you confess that he is? See, this passage is about our confession. Who do we say? See, Peter was not willing to deny himself in this moment and confess Christ. He denies Christ and preserves himself. And this, friends, happens to us on the daily. Will I confess Christ and deny myself? Or will I deny Christ and preserve myself? This is the conflict. This is the place. And you'll be confused. See, confusion can create all kinds of problems. When people are confused about the truth, about who they are in positions of authority, you ever seen people who are confused about what's right in positions of authority? And all they, all they say, all that comes out is malice. Hey, do what we... Do what I tell you to do. Well, what about this? No, 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 no. I don't have time to have a conversation with you. Just do what I tell you to do. They're confused. You've not seen anything like this over the past couple years, have you? People confused about what's true and confusion creating malice. See, that's where Peter was at. Peter's confused. What's he do? Strikes first. See, here's how you can understand when you're confused in an argument. When you're confused about who's in charge and what's right, you'll just start swinging in the dark. You just start throwing haymakers. Right? I don't know. I'm just angry right now. You're the pastor. I know, but I'm angry. All right? You feel that way? Malice. But notice the contrast between how Jesus interacts in his posture and Peter's. Jesus is not confused about the truth, about what he's there to do. He's not confused about who he is or the situation. What's his posture? It's not malice. It's meekness. And who's the authority and who's in charge and who's powerful? Jesus, the meek one who didn't have malice or deceit was ever found in his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't even open his mouth. He says, listen, if you're here for me, let them go. Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? He gets struck in the face and he looks and goes, hey, won't you just bear witness about what I did wrong? 
Don't just hit me because you're frustrated with the truth. See, we can examine when we act in malice, when we act out of confusion, we can ask the question, do I really know what's going on? I gotta back up and I gotta take some inventory. Go, who am I? And ultimately, friend, you'll find yourself when you begin to gaze on the wonder of who the person of Jesus actually is. The conquering lion is the suffering servant. The lamb led to the slaughter. The one who died in my place. Why? To change me from the inside out. Not to change my hand. Not to change what I have. But he's here to change who you are, friend. Because what you can find is it doesn't matter what you have. It matters who you are. That's what he's here to do. See, when I'm confident in who Christ is, it's easy to confess and say who he is. See, some of us have to wrestle with our confidence in who Christ is. See, in relationship brings confidence. When I know him, I trust him. I have to wonder. See, when religion has been removed from relationship, that's when religion moves in malice and uses their malice and authority and try to control. The church has been riddled without through, with that throughout history. Are you with me? Trying to manipulate people? Listen, friend, if your way of evangelizing is pointing your finger and getting in their face, you need to get in your own face and ask the question, who are you? What authority do you have, friend? I think you're confused about who Jesus is. See, but when we begin to see who he is, it changes our confession. We'll deny ourselves. We'll start seeing, stop seeing things from, from my way and I'll look to his way. I'll say, no, 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 my way. I tried my way. That was no way at all. I did not. I'll pick up the cross. I'll follow after him. See, our confession is evidence of what we actually believe. What we say. You ever notice that sometimes in conflict you actually say what you mean? Let me, let, me just, let me just leave that for a moment. You ever notice that? You ever notice in conflict, sometimes you say what you mean because the levy has broken and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The thing that you're trying to cage, maybe you need to go, hey baby, let's get to the bottom of what was said because I think I'm confused. That's free, friends. Or sometimes I got to examine what I'm saying and trace it back and go, do I really believe that? See, confession reveals what's in the heart. Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but that which comes out of his heart and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. See, Peter is here, he's confused and what's in his heart comes out. Not when it was easy. Who do you say? You're the Christ, the son of God. Conflict, I don't know him. See, it's in those moments. But see, we need to make sure of what we believe. We have to wrestle with, you have to wrestle with, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Christ, the Son of God? Is he the one who came and lived and died and rose again? And because he rose, he changes everything. He is the one who decides what life is for and about. He saved me. And he set me free. And he shows me what it's for. See, Romans 10 says this about our confession. Romans 10, 8 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved saved.
See, friends, your confession is deeper than your affiliation and your association. Your confession is what do you actually believe about the person of Jesus. It goes beyond the church you attend. It goes beyond the pastor that you claim or don't claim. It goes beyond and it moves to a very individual, personal confession. What do you say about Jesus? I'll tell you a story about my friend. My friend John grew up in the church. I met John. He was working on the house I was moving into when I first became the associate pastor and the plan to uh, become the lead pastor. And he was working on the house that I was moving into. And I learned that, that John played basketball and he was going to play basketball that night. It was Monday night. And, and I said, hey, man, I'd love to come, come play. And, and he reluctantly, like many of you would have been, uh, to tell me uh, when the game was and what time. And I showed up and uh, as they were picking teams, he denied that he ever knew me. You know, I don't know why, right? And as they were picking teams and they're looking at me, five foot nothing and white, they're like, not it, you know? And it was at the end of the game when they, they realized I could, I could handle myself. And you can ask him if that's true or not. And uh, what's up, Cody? And they learned I could play. Well, then the guys came over and they were wanting to know who I was. And then John started talking to me. And, and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the, one of the new pastors at the church across the street. We're playing at the Buellton Rec. And. I said, yeah. And then they looked at John and the guy said, that's your church, John? And he very emphatically said, no, that's my parents' church. Man, it gripped me. I thought, man, what have I gotten myself into? Man, it hurt, but he was honest. His confession wasn't confused. He was raised in this church. But he hadn't stepped foot in the building in years, except to maybe some do, do some work around it, helping his dad. But then I saw over the years, I, I would become friends with John. We'd play basketball. I went over to his house for dinner. One day they were, they were building a house, and at the time they were living in this, this, uh, this little pop-up uh, camper in order to build their house and they were scraping by to, 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 to build this thing with their bare hands and I sent over a, a, a basketball goal to his kid and knew money was probably tight at the time and I sent a basketball goal and he texted me thank you and, and then one day I, I knew he played drums and he played gigging around the valley and I, we needed a drummer one weekend and thought, man, I'll take a chance. He's never stepped foot in here. But I called him up and I, I said, hey man, would, would you be willing to play drums and fill in for us on the weekend? We don't, we don't have a drummer. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And that was like early in the week. And then around midweek, he texted me and said, hey man, I need to talk to you. Can you meet me at the church? I said, yeah. And I was worried. I, I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought he was going to say something. Hey dude, don't manipulate me. Don't buy my kid a basketball goal and then try to get me to play drill. Like, I don't know what this relationship, friends, like I'm not coming to your church. Man, I thought we were gonna fight or something. Right? Like, and this guy is not somebody you wanna pick a fight with, okay? And uh, he's got a beard, twice the beard as mine. And he, we sat in the back row back there and I sat down and I said, hey, what's up, man? And, he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, you asked me to play drums and I just got to be honest with you, man. Uh, there's no way that I can get up there and lead worship and lead people to Christ when I'm not following Christ and I'm not leading myself and I'm not leading my family. And there's no way that I could be hypocritical and get up there and lead worship 
and try to lead people to Christ. I need to come to Christ. Will you pray with me? Man, I'm glad you're not going to fight me. <laughs> yeah, I'll pray with you, man. That was almost five years ago. He led you in worship this morning. Playing drums. But here's the, here's his confession. Maybe at first glance, when I say, no, that's my parents' church. Can I tell you, that was Righteous. He wasn't trying to have salvation by association. He said, no, they go there. There's some people who haven't stepped foot in church for years, but because their parents go, they go, yeah, that's our church. But they're confessed. What do you believe? Who is Jesus? Not by your association, but who is Jesus from the inside out? What do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, friend? Do you believe this is more than ideology and psychology, but this is God raised Jesus from the dead and that changes everything. And what do you believe? Who do you say that Jesus is? He said, listen, friend, I can't lead people to Christ. And I love that he saw a contrast. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to lead worship. I was like, well, I didn't actually lead worship. I was actually going to play drums. And he didn't see a difference. So man, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to use my gift to the glory of God. I couldn't do that unless my conf confession was congruent. See, belief will drive your behavior. Your confession is evidence of your salvation. What you say, follow it straight to the heart. Allow the crisis of life to allow you to take inventory about what you truly believe. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face various trials, for it is the working and testing of your faith that will work out into pure gold. Will you pray with me? With every head bowed, with every eye closed, The Lompo campus, I'm going to ask Ed, won't you come on stage? So I want you to be able to pray for those. I did this in first service and I feel like I'm supposed to do it in the next, in this service. Maybe some of you, you're like John and you go, you know what? It's been association, but I need to take inventory. I need to follow Jesus. And I want to confess that with my mouth, what I believe in my heart. If that's you today, I, I'm going to embarrass you with every head bowed, with every eye closed, even at the Lompoc campus. The Holy Spirit is beyond time and space. He's there even now with you at the Lompoc campus. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, Ed, with you on stage, Here's what I'm going to ask in this room. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. Here's what I want to do. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you say, I want to make my confession and my election sure. I want to know that I know that I know. And I want to follow Christ. If that's you, I'm going to ask you in the count of three to just make eye contact with me. With every bed bowed, every eye closed. In Lompoc, I want you to make eye contact with Ed who's on stage right now. On the count of three, I just want to know who I'm praying for. On the count of three, one, two, three, make eye contact. Thank you, 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 thank you. Dozens of people in both service, dozens of people. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you at the Lompoc campus. I know there are people who just looked Ed in the eye. Ed, we're going to pray. We're just going to stay right here for a moment. I want to pray for those who are making a decision. Listen, this prayer isn't magical, but it can be powerful if you actually believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth. Church, will you say this with me here and in Lompoc? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner 
but you're a good savior. You died for me so I could live for you. You rose on the third day and you changed everything. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me what to do. I love you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for every person who said that prayer. I know the dozens in this room and I know the countless in Lompoc and in first service. I thank you for all those people who are making their confession. Sure. Jesus, I thank you for every person. I thank you for the story of John, John Ward, my friend, who now for years, his story has now been an inspiring story where we don't want to be incongruent with our confession. We don't want this to be salvation by association, but this is salvation in that we believe you are who you say you are. You're God in the flesh. You're the spotless, blameless lamb who lived and died in my place and you rose again and I trust you and you're in charge and I have confidence, assurance in you. Let meekness be my mindset. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Consider others more valuable than yourself. Let us follow the suffering servant. Let us pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and confess Christ. For your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise for all that he's done?